You're listening to devpath.fm, the podcast about career development for software engineers. Join the conversation at www.devpath.fm or on Twitter at devpathfm. Hey everybody, I'm here with Tamaj Wakomi, uh, who's a senior software engineer and uh, lives currently in Poland. I know about Tamaj because he's really active on Twitter and makes lots of really funny jokes. Um, <laughs> but uh, Tamaj, you want to say hey and talk about what you do? Uh, yeah, sure. So apart from Twitter, uh, not much. <laughs> <laughs> no, on a more serious note. So hey, everybody, my name is Tomasz Wakomi. I'm, as Jacob said, I'm from Poznań, Poland. I'm a senior front-end engineer at Olex Group. And basically what we do is that if you are from the US, you are probably familiar with Craigslist. So you know that this website which you can buy and sell anything. We do that, but with a slightly better design as in we actually have design. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are, by the way, we're currently in the middle of rebranding the, the entire website. So there's a huge project that I'm heavily involved in. And also it's quite exciting. First, first time I have a opportunity to work with design systems and, and so on. And apart from working at Olex, I also speak at conferences. So I've started nearly a few years ago at my very first meetup uh, here at Poznan. And afterwards, I managed to speak of, uh, speak about uh, React and Cypress and VR at a bunch of different conferences around Europe. Uh, last year, I got a tremendous opportunity to speak at React India, which was the absolute highlight of my speaking career. And I have, I have no idea how am I ever going to top that. Maybe, <laughs> I'll, maybe I will figure something out in the future. And I'm also uh, recording lessons on Egghead.io. So I've joined Egghead as an instructor, uh, I think, uh, like 14, 15 months ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. And... I recorded nearly 100 lessons during that this time. I'm actually, yeah, I think that I will hit the 100th lesson, uh, you know, milestone, which is huge for me. Uh, probably, maybe next week, if times, if I have enough time to to record more stuff. Because as usual, I have more ideas than I have the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Tomas, just to, to get started, what was your like first experience? building software and, and how did you get interested in that? Sure. So I guess the answer to this question kind of depends on where where do you start counting from? As mm -hmm. in the very my very, very first contact with a computer was when my parents got a Commodore 64. Mm -hmm. I, I think I was like six, five, six, maybe seven. I don't remember the details. But I do remember I we had this uh, basic book, you know, for the basic programming lang language. Uh, it mm -hmm. was in English, and the fun fact is that uh, my parents do not speak English at all. And mm -hmm. e even though they do not, they watched all my conference talks, which is uh, absolutely <laughs> amazing and very, very soft and cute. Uh, but I do remember that I was typing programs uh, from this book character by character into this weird box that we used to call a computer uh, back in Poland. And it sometimes worked, you know, we had some like flashing lights and that and stuff like that. Uh, afterwards, I do remember like fiddling with some basic HTML and CSS when I was like 12. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I didn't really consider myself as an I didn't think that I would somehow end up doing this for a living, especially not when I was 12. Uh, but yeah, but apart from that, I have a, like a quasi uh, 
traditional background when it comes to software engineering is that I do have a master's in engineering from mm -hmm. Poznan University of Technology, but I didn't study computer science. I didn't want to be a programmer. I had this very weird image at the time of uh, programmers, programmers basically being uh, like forced to work 14 hours per day in uh, <laughs> small offices, writing some software that nobody's going to use. And to be fair, I was not very interested in programming at the time. I didn't consider myself to be a programmer. I thought that in order to compute, to study computer science, you have to be somewhat decent at computer science. I didn't consider myself to be like this good. Uh, at mm -hmm. the time, I ended up having a master's in electronics and telecommunications, which was incredibly difficult to, to be fair. And basically, I started programming for a living by a complete accident. Mm -hmm. And then I was looking for internships. And basically, the jobs were in programming. And we did have C++ classes in, at the university. I was not excelling at them at all. Mm -hmm. uh, but I decided to kind of uh, to submit my CV to the, the C++ internship. I got accepted. I spent the first three months uh, of one of the summers uh, in 2012, uh, sorry, the summer of 2012, writing C++. And afterwards, I kind of do write code for every single uh, day as an Monday to Friday, of course, I rarely code on the on the weekends. So this is kind of like my path uh, as a software engineer. So from basic through C++ and currently to JavaScript and React. Cool. Uh, you mentioned that your parents didn't speak English. So at the age when you started uh, learning basic, were you speaking English or did you learn that as you learned to write software? No, as in when I was writing basic, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Uh, this hasn't really changed, to be fair, as in I still have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. No, no, as in uh, in Poland, you learn English from the age of nine, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, it's probably, I mean, right now it's a bit different, especially in, in my kind of case, as in my wife is an English teacher mm -hmm. and her youngest students are two years old. Okay. So some of those kids, like they started very young, uh, you know, basically they, what they do is that they teach those kids English by accident as they play in English and they kind of, you know, uh, they are able to teach them some words and phrases through uh, entertainment, through, uh, you know, yeah, kind of exposure to English language. Mm -hmm. So I, I did not, uh, you know, learn English at a very young age. I basically, my biggest improvement when it comes to that is basically my decision to kind of switch to English-based media only, as in like Twitter, Reddit, uh, video games, and so on. Yeah, did that affect like your, how, how you viewed programming, you think? Like, because I feel like the majority of the content out there that teaches people how to write software is in English. So I wonder if that was something that you had to deal with as you were learning. I absolutely, absolutely. So what I do say quite often is that if you if you are not a native English speaker, the most important program per, uh, language in programming is English. Hmm. As in, if you are not comfortable with speaking English or reading English or writing documentation in English, for instance, it's quite difficult to have a successful career in the field. Mm -hmm. like in my humble opinion, in my experience, obviously, like. You can have a career, um, maybe there's something that I'm missing, but for me personally, I think that you're going to struggle a lot. Like mm -hmm. reading documentation, if you cannot understand the language is obviously quite difficult. And my personal take is also that I don't really get to create content in my own language. Sure. 
as an is an as an if I, if I want to have some kind of range and some kind of recognition in the community, well, you have to go to, with the default. You have to go with the with the English language. Mm-hmm. As in, I as in, you work for Dev Two. I'm a huge fan of Dev Two, but I don't think that if I started to write my articles in in Polish, they would be probably not very popular. Yeah, sure, that makes sense. So going into like your formal training into like university and stuff like that. At what part in your education were you when you took that internship? Were you doing your master's degree or was that during your undergraduate? Uh, so that was before my master's. Uh, so basically my university was kind of split into two parts. So the first stop, you get an engineering degree. Mm-hmm. So you become an engineer and afterwards you become a master of engineering. So it was a one semester before I became an actual engineer. Okay. So that that was that was heavy because I spent the entire summer writing C++ and afterwards during the semester I ended up at an internship it's in Samsung Poland Research and Development Center. Mm-hmm. Uh by the way this internship was absolutely amazing and I think that most more companies should do something like that. Mm-hmm. As in what they did they invited people who had potential to teach them JavaScript. I did not know anything about JavaScript when I started this internship. Mm. And they've spent the whole month teaching us HTML, CSS, JavaScript, jQuery, of course, uh, and teaching us web development from scratch. Yeah. And most as in so most of those people who were at this internship with, with me, because there were like uh, four of us at the time, everyone is a senior engineer now. Wow. Just because, you know, somebody put faith in us yeah uh you know all those all those years ago currently companies are only hiring seniors for some reason and honestly (laughs) i don't get it yeah i i agree with that so i had a bunch of internships i'm actually a college dropout for anyone who doesn't know that about me but uh i went to Mm -hmm. school and i got a series of internships and i eventually started like doubling up so i would work two internships at once and then I would like just stop going okay. to class. Um, and uh, I, <laughs> heavy. yeah, so I learned software development sort of by accident by doing that. And then at those internships, when someone would say, oh, I wish we had this automated, or I wish that there was a website where I could go and do this thing, I would just say, hey, yeah. I'll figure out how to make that. Um, and those things were really terrible, I'm sure. Awesome. But that's how I learned. And for me, that was really valuable because I was able to work in a place where no one expected me to be good at programming. Because I wasn't hired mm-hmm. to be a programming intern. I was hired to be an IT intern or a business analytics intern. And I just okay. volunteered to do these automation tasks. And by the end of the internships, I was a programming intern. It just took a month or two for me to start doing those things and, and move into that full-time programming like uh, internship. So mm-hmm. we should be hiring more for potential and for people who like are interested in getting into a field and training people up internally. Mm-hmm. Because I agree with you, companies want to hire seniors exclusively because it's cheaper and because seniors hit the ground running and are more productive. But if you do that, then you run out of uh, engineers and eventually you do what we're currently doing, I think, and you start having everyone become like a quote unquote senior. And now now we have, you know, I'm a senior software engineer, but I haven't been in the industry very long. And I'm just labeled that because otherwise I wouldn't be able to get a job, which is which actually happened to me. To be fair, yeah, I my very first senior title was that I was nowhere near what I consider to be like a senior level today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to ask you about your speaking, since that seems to be a big part of your career. Did you start speaking before or after you had that first senior title? Uh, let me think. Uh, after. After. Okay. After. 
after afterwards. What uh what convinced you to give your first talk and and how did you decide to start doing it regularly? Uh so I do have those kind of weird projects that I do for myself <laughs> uh from from time to time. Mm-hmm. So for instance, I I'm a heavy user of this app which is called One Second Every Day mm-hmm. and I've been recording one second of every single day for the last nearly 5 years. Uh so this is like one of the most lifelong projects that I do have. Uh so when it comes to uh actually talking at conferences at the end of 2016 I had this idea that I attended some of conferences and after a while I've decided that I do have some experience in the industry. I do have some stuff to to say and I would honestly would like to try that. Mm-hmm. And I did submit a talk to my uh my very first meetups uh in Poznan and I gave a talk about React VR which was still in alpha at the time so it was barely working <laughs> and I decided to do a live demo for some reason which actually worked <laughs> and I got hooked. And I got hooked. I I started enjoying this uh this act of you know going on stage uh reaching out to others like sharing something new sharing something interesting with them. Uh, most of my talks are basically a kind of stand-up comedy shows and I do try <laughs> to be funny. Sometimes I even succeed, uh, which, <laughs> which, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. Mostly, uh, mostly it works, uh, to be fair. And speaking at conferences was the best decision in my career okay. because it's opened so many doors uh, for me professionally. And then I was able to start from meetups. Afterwards, I was submitting uh, multiple cover papers. Uh, at some point, I've submitted uh, 20 cover papers when I was starting my very first year mm-hmm. as a public speaker because I wanted to go to a conference outside of Poland. That was my goal. And I figured that I am not like worse than others. I just have less experience in that, but I will be able to do that mm-hmm. at some point. So after receiving 19 rejection emails, I got accepted <laughs> to React <laughs> React JS Day in Verona, mm-hmm. which was a life-changing event for me because I had uh, my very first uh, contact with a uh, you know, like an international community from the speaker's perspective. I had a video of myself speaking at a uh, international conference. I could just set, the, set it to other conferences. And this snowball effect started there and it's rolling uh, to this day. And I do highly, highly recommend that if you are comfortable with speaking to, to others, if you are comfortable with, you know, going on stage because it's not easy. It never gets easy. It only gets a little bit easier. But if you are comfortable with that, I do highly recommend giving it a shot. You mentioned doors being opened from from speaking. Do you think that's something that anyone can take advantage of? Or do you think that some speakers don't have that experience? And do you think there, for people who aren't comfortable speaking, uh, are there other methods for opening doors like that? Like, for example, with blogging or maybe podcasting? Yeah, I, th- I think that the both of the both met- methods that you just mentioned and blogging, so blogging and podcasts and honestly, there's multiple other methods are equally as valid. You don't have to be comfortable speaking in public in order to, I don't know, get promoted mm-hmm. to a senior level position or to have a success- successful career. This is not a requirement. For me, this is one of the ways that you can... P- be more public mm-hmm. and to put yourself out there. But nevertheless, blogging is actually significantly better. As in, if you start writing at, I don't know, 
after two years in your career, or maybe screw it, after two weeks. <laughs> and and honestly, like if your career is going to last for a couple of years, you will have a tremendous amount of material, yeah. a tremendous amount of writing, which is permanent. Because talks at conferences are amazing. You get to you get to meet people, you get to share experiences, you get to learn, you get to teach. But it is kind of temporary. As in, if your talk, talk is going to end up on YouTube and you will have maybe 300 views. Sure. Maybe 400. You can sh- send it, sure, to, to some other companies and so on. But blogging and blogs stay. As in, they're basically way more widespread. And to be fair, if I wrote an article, which is like three minutes long, most people are going to read through that because it's only three minutes. But if you send somebody a conference talk, which is 25 minutes long, well, the conversion rate is uh, significantly lower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think for me, writing and podcasting has been more effective than I have helped organize a handful of conferences and I gave a talk once. So like those things were cool and fun and I, I enjoy interacting with people mm-hmm. uh, in that way. But the number of people who read my articles or who listen to this podcast is much higher than the 300 people I spoke to and the, the 50 or 100 that will yeah. see that video. Do you think that speaking uh, has made you better at working on teams and better at communicating as a software engineer? Or is it just something that uh, has helped you build your profile? I think it absolutely helped. Okay. I mean, of course, building a profile, building a, you know, uh, like my position as a more visible member of the programming community was incredibly useful. But having this, um, this, those skills of being able to talk about ideas in public. You don't have to have like 400 people in the audience. If you are just, uh, I don't know, trying to suggest some something to your development team, having those kind of experience beforehand is in- incredibly useful because you are kind of used to that. You are kind of used to explaining your ideas uh, within a given time frame, And basically like your communication skills are going to improve mm. uh, massively. I mean, I think that mine, Mine did because we do, for instance, have knowledge knowledge sharing sessions at work. And for me at this point, like uh, attending some of those sessions and sharing something to to others is not an issue at all. Mm-hmm. As in, if you are, if you go from you know a conference which has four hundred people, and you go down to twenty of your coworkers of your friends, well, it gets significantly easier, mm-hmm. right? But you also have this experience of exp- explaining ideas to strangers. And you, if you are able to explain something to strangers, you are absolutely prepared to explain something to to your teammates because you know that you can they can ask you questions, you can talk to each other, and and so on and so forth. So I think it's incredibly useful, and I think it also translates to writing skills. Yeah, because like some of the speakers actually write their talks. I don't do that because uh, it's terrifying for me personally <laughs> to open up a, a Google Doc document and just stare at this blank page. Oh, oh God damn it, what do I do? So most of my talks were written, quote unquote, uh, under a shower. So <laughs> what, what I do is that I most basically uh, go under a shower and start talking to myself about what do I want to accomplish with the talk? What kind of message do I want to uh uh, you, you know, give with this with, with, with this kind of talk. On more than one occasion, I actually ended up running out of my shower in order to write something down <laughs> because <laughs> because I had this amazing idea and I did want to have it down. 
But nevertheless, if you can formulate your thoughts in a talk, then doing the same thing in the writing is, I don't think it's going to be like significantly more difficult than that. And some of my most successful posts on Dev2 were basically born as my, either my actual talks that I ended up giving or my experiments around what kind of talks I would love to give in, in the mm -hmm. future. Yeah, so Tamaj, when you speak, have you ever felt or dealt with imposter syndrome or do you feel that whenever you like work on a team as a software engineer or is that something that you just avoided in your career? I did not avoid that at all. Uh, oh boy. Uh, so going back to, to my career, career in general, so the most useful lesson that I've learned personally is to be able to say that I don't know. Hmm. Because of the imposter syndrome, for years, I was absolutely terrified of admitting that I don't know something. Because my uh, thought process was, okay, this person is asking me a question. I am a software engineer. I am paid to know those things. Mm -hmm. And I do, do not know that. Therefore, I'm a fraud and I will be fired next month. Uh, which was not the case. I haven't, I am yet to get fired from any company that I've ever worked for. Uh, so yeah, I definitely did, uh, deal with that at some point, mm -hmm. but for me, the moment I've learned that, okay, dude, you've been in this industry for quite some time. If you don't know something, it's for two reasons. One, you did not have experience with that. And that's okay because there's just so many things out there. I know so different, so many different areas of programming. Mm -hmm. You cannot be an expert in everything. And two, it's an opportunity to learn. Sure. As in, if I don't know something, I can just ask somebody else, well, would you teach me? Mm -hmm. And they get to grow as a teacher. I get to grow as a programmer. Everybody wins. Yeah. So, but it's hard. It's ridiculously hard to, to deal with. As in, if you go to work and you are kind of afraid to talk into other people because, well, they are going to find out. And to be fair, if you manage to get through the interview process, it's not your fault. Even if you are <laughs> a fraud, which you are not. But if you manage to get through the interview process, you know something. Mm -hmm. And for me, this was also uh, like a, maybe not a life-changing event, but it was basically something that I, I understood at the time because I used to work for a bunch of different companies. I went through at least five different interview processes. Mm -hmm. So if I am an imposter, then I'm, I'm at least I am amazing at going through <laughs> interviews because <laughs> I managed to fool all those talented programmers who were interviewing me at the time. Mm -hmm. When did you have that realization that it was okay to say, I don't know, or is that something that happened over time and now you're just more comfortable with it? I think it happened over time. I, I don't recall a single event. But it basically was just like a sum of small things. As in, I started admitting here and there that I don't know something. And it, what it turned out that I never, ever gotten into trouble mm -hmm. because of that. Uh, to be fair, like maybe at some point, as in, of course, there are things that you are supposed to know as a, as a software engineer, because don't get me wrong, you have to know whatever it is that you are doing. But of course, you don't have to know everything. Mm -hmm. And for me, at this point, I'm kind of, I try to be at least, a champion of silly questions. So if I attend a meeting at work 
And there's a question that may be silly, but I do have a feeling that other people, other people are not comfortable asking this question because, well, it's a silly question. Maybe we should know that. I'm straight up just asking the question mm -hmm. because I, I can see on everybody's faces that, oh, God damn, I wanted to ask that, but I was not <laughs> comfortable doing that. Yeah. But at this point, screw it. I don't know that. I would like to know that. And everybody probably in the room are there not aware of this fact that was supposed to be obvious. Mm -hmm. So I, I would feel weird if we didn't talk about it, but um, you're kind of, or you've kind of become and, and are seen as an expert on like JavaScript and React um, and more specifically jQuery. Um, so how, uh, how did you choose those technologies to become sort of an expert in? And uh, what is it, you know, what, what, what is the, the path to setting yourself up as an authority on a subject like a Re React look like? Okay, so let me address the jQuery part first, because to be <laughs> fair, I, I, have a, I have a feeling that every single podcast I'm going to record for the rest of my career will have this question, but that's okay, that's fine, uh, because I, <laughs> I did it to myself. Uh, for the record, I am not using jQuery on a daily basis. I am not a member of jQuery team, even though I did get some emails uh, some time ago that some people wanted to do like a jQuery security consulting with me, <laughs> which I, I am not going to do. Uh, it's a running joke, I, which actually started at this, my very first international conference, uh, which, which I mentioned before. I was, speaking at this, uh, I was sitting at the speaker's dinner with the other speakers, and we had this idea that we are going to mention jQuery just for fun on every single talk. <laughs> and most, <laughs> most speakers did. And uh, that was absolutely amazing and hilarious for me personally, mostly for others as well. And I kind of kept on rolling with it uh, because people found it funny. And what I try to do on, on, on Twitter in, in general is to be a bit more, to be on a bit more positive side of things. Mm -hmm. As in, I, I know that things are difficult and weird and scary in the world, but I want to be the person who people follow because I make them laugh or I make them learn something. Those are basically like two, two of my goals, uh, why I do Twitter in the first place. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to becoming like an established as an expert in area, I would say it basically boils down to two things. So first up, having experience in something. So doing this uh, on a daily basis or experimenting with it with, as, a, as a side project, for instance, or better yet, to teaching, mm -hmm. as in writing blogs, recording videos, uh, writing tweets even. Like one of my favorite accounts these days is uh, AWS Daily Tips. So it was started by, uh, by Rafał Wilinski. Uh, he's also from Poznan, and he basically tweets a daily small tip about AWS every single day. Sometimes it's even multiple tips uh, per day. Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to say is that you don't have to create, I don't like uh, two-hour courses, <laughs> uh, video tutorials, in order to become well-known in the community as an expert in an area. Sometimes even tweets are more than enough uh, to do that. Mm -hmm. So how have you personally benefited from being like a React expert or a, a JavaScript expert? Well, um, I get to do JavaScript for a living, uh, <laughs> which, which for me um, was an amazing choice. I started as a C++, as in I used to do C++, 
doing my very first internship. Afterwards, I did JavaScript and afterwards I again was kind of switched into C++, but I decided to do JavaScript for a living Mm -hmm. for a bunch of reasons, mostly because the jobs were there. Mm -hmm. As in, it was much better uh, paid. Uh, The jobs were so much more interesting in JavaScript uh, sphere. I'm not saying that you cannot have an interesting job as a C++ developer, but for me personally at the time, I wanted to specialize in JavaScript and and React. But speaking of React, that was a difficult choice at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I started doing React at uh, late 2015. So that was basically the height of framework wars. <laughs> so there was, you know, React, Angular, uh, Vue was, I think, starting to grow at the time, if I recall correctly. But there were definitely a lot of things going on at the time. Like Webpack was starting to get more traction. I do remember the JavaScript fatigue, which happened at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for me, how React benefited me personally is at this point is... I would say maybe not the default framework that you use for JavaScript projects, but there are definitely a lot, lots of projects that are using Korea. Mm-hmm. So for me, the huge benefit is, uh, for instance, in Olex group, uh, I'm able to switch from one project to another fairly easily because there is this common uh, baseline, which is React. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to, I don't know, rediscover a framework every single time I decide to switch projects. I have this uh, common foundation of React. And of course, like some projects are different because I don't know, somebody may decide to use Redux, somebody uh, may decide to use Apollo GraphQL and so on. Mm-hmm. But there is this uh, this common pattern. And I found myself to be way more productive with React than I was without it. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's a good reason to pick a tool. Uh, marketability is a big part and and like i was learning to do software development and like kind of uh moving into that full time around the time that the framework wars were were going um and that actually for me was the reason that i settled on focusing on back end at the time uh because there was just so Mm -hmm. much information that i felt like it was easier to pick uh, a back end tool and just stick with that and it did the same thing for me once i learned the basics of rails moving between between Rails projects became easier. And now that things have settled a little bit, I'm learning more front-end stuff and React or uh, I don't really use it, but Angular would do the same thing where if I learned that skill set and that tool set, I could be more marketable on multiple teams and multiple companies and jumping between projects would be easier. Tamaj, from your perspective, is there something, it can be that, it can be your knowledge of React, but anything else that you think makes you good at what you do? Um, last year, I actually got a quote in one of my uh, like uh, quarterly feedbacks is that my communication skills are better than my technical skills, mm-hmm. which was ma- meant as a compliment because it is a huge compliment for me personally, uh, because I do consider human beings to be way more difficult to work with than software mm-hmm. And be- because like, like you can learn to code, you can learn to program, but over the course of a lifetime, you cannot like learn human beings and communication with with others and and, and stuff like that. It, it's incredibly difficult. It's everybody is is different. Uh, teams are diverse, so with a diverse team, you're going to have a, like a diverse uh, range of voices and perspectives, which is an amazing thing. But nevertheless, it is not 
well, simple, mm-hmm. to be fair. This is what's exciting for me personally about working uh, in large organizations and large teams is to be able to kind of make everybody around me more productive. Mm-hmm. This is my goal, essentially. I don't want to be, uh, like I actually wrote an article about this. I don't want to be a 10x engineer. I want to be a plus 10% engineer. Mm-hmm. So the goal my, for myself is to make everybody else 10% more productive in my team. So this is where the communication skills, skills come, come, come in. So like being able to write documentation because I do have writing uh, experience because of, for instance, Dev2, being able to communicate ideas because I have a experience as a conference speaker and I'm able to, I, I'm not afraid to basically gather people in the room and announce that we are going to start consider, considering doing X what, what is your opinion? What do you think about it? And so on and so forth. So in essence, I would say that communication skills are something that I'm quite proud of. Mm-hmm. And I do recommend if you are not kind of comfortable uh, with well, communicating with others, with, I don't know, writing uh, r- reports and messages on Slack, because some people are not really comfortable with mm-hmm. that. I do recommend like trying to push out out of this comfort zone uh, because it will make you a better engineer and it will make also other people probably much more productive. If you had a coworker ask you how to build communication skills, uh, what advice would you give them? Uh, well, it's basically like writing. So the more you do it, the better you become. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to, to the people you have, you have to, you have to start. Uh, I, I tend to think of what kind of communication would I would like to receive from others. Mm-hmm. So basically it's, uh, sometimes it's very small. So if you are writing something on Slack, uh, I don't know, you're asking a question, just add some more white space. Mm-hmm. For instance, this is a very small tip. This is nothing, I know, out of nothing extraordinary, but it just works. If you, uh, uh, you have three things that you want to propose, just make a list of three things and just put them one under the another. And small tips, but it uh, helps like convey your message uh, a tiny bit better. Mm-hmm. Also, another thing that I would recommend is to start small. So don't try, don't start like being more public by, I don't know, writing a company-wide email about what you're going to do this quarter. <laughs> This is not a good <laughs> approach. I would like start small, start uh, being more proactive with your team, with your team members, start talking to them in, uh, in more detail. And afterwards, you will uh, be more comfortable with, you know, reaching more and more people in your organization, for instance, on Twitter, going to conferences and so on, like whatever you imagine. We've talked a little bit about like what you're good at. But I'm curious, uh, what kind of things do you consider yourself to be bad at? Well, plenty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so wh- what I would say is that I struggle with coming up with things from scratch. So I, I think I'm uh, quite good with uh, if, if I get to contribute to an existing code base. So I get to refactor stuff. I get to add new features to uh, like existing models and existing systems, but I am not that good at designing systems and designing uh, components from scratch. Mm-hmm. So if I, you know, do file new file in my editor, 
Most developers, I think, are quite excited about that. <laughs> but for me, it's just, oh, God damn it. How many mistakes <laughs> I'm going to make this time around? Because there will be mistakes. There will be plenty of mistakes. Uh, so another thing that I think I'm, I struggle with is that I tend to maybe, okay, I don't tend to do YOLO-driven development. <laughs> that, you know, I, I don't push everything to master. But I do know that I sometimes tend to like push towards pushing something to, to production a bit sooner than most of the <laughs> other engineers in, in the team. But on the other hand, I'm also pushing heavily for testing. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's just build a prototype, push it to prod, and see if people are, are see and people are actually going to use that. Because if nobody is going to use that, why do we need to improve it? We might as well just remove the feature entirely. Mm -hmm. In general, uh, how do you how do you work on your weaknesses? What are the kind of things you do to become better at things that you feel uncomfortable with? Uh, so first up, I, I do try to get get out of my comfort zone. Uh, so, for instance, when it, when it comes to I don't know, like pushing stuff a bit a bit too, too sooner, I start waiting for a bit. Uh, I start, you know, uh, asking more people to review my code, for instance, and start to, you know, reach out to them for, for more feedback. And another thing that I would say is, um, is oh, that, that's honestly kind of difficult question to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to answer yeah. because it's, um, quite personal. So what, what I would also do, and I tend to do that is that I do welcome feedback. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite meetings, which is weird, and I do understand that, like for me, those uh, quarterly or by performance reviews. Sure. Okay, I was missing the word. Yeah. yeah, performance reviews. I do enjoy them because I know that I'm doing all that I can at work. So I'm not kind of afraid of being punished or something <laughs> like that because honestly, we don't do that in our, in our company. But for me, it's a tremendous opportunity to get feedback for because we do 360 feedback. Mm -hmm. So I do get feedback from my manager, also my coworkers and other members of other teams. And I do try to act on this feedback. Mm -hmm. And f f like receiving and asking for feedback is incredibly difficult. And I do know that. And I don't really ask for feedback on a daily basis because it's kind of odd when you think <laughs> back to that. When you have somebody who has never reached out to you for feedback and you're just asking them, hey, dude, could you just you know give me some feedback? They're like, are you leaving the company or what? <laughs> <laughs> would, you, would, you, would you give me a recommendation on LinkedIn? Because this is, <laughs> this is kind of similar. Yeah. Yeah, I I'm the same way. I really really appreciate feedback, and I like to I like to receive it because it gives me an opportunity to improve at things. And um, it's like it's good to know that you're doing something wrong early as opposed to late. Yeah. Kind of on the subject of of receiving feedback, what's your advice to people who are a little more uncomfortable with receiving feedback? Uh, why why do you think that you are so comfortable with receiving feedback? Uh well, I am. Well, to be fair, I am not entirely comfortable with receiving feedback, but I'm trying to be better at receiving feedback. Mm -hmm. So I am comfortable with improving myself, I would say. Receiving feedback is never easy, uh, but it, I think it does get easier. So what I would suggest is to reach out for good and meaningful feedback, uh, because a good feedback should be about the actions, not necessarily about the motivations. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say that 
if you are, you know, if your manager is giving you your feedback, they should tell you about the actual things that happened. Uh, I, I did use the word motivation. I've meant to use something like observations. So, uh, if you get a feedback about like, for instance, doing YOLO driven development and pushing crappy code to production, the feedback that you should seek would be, okay, when did it happen and what kind of circumstances led me to pushing, you know, obvious bugs to production environment. It, this feedback shouldn't be based on, I think that I saw you a bunch of times pushing a code without tests to production. And therefore I think you are a bad, en- you are a bad engineer mm-hmm. because this is a terrible feedback. As in, this is based on assumptions. This is based on some observation, which may or may not be true. Because for instance, you push it to production, sure, but it was Sunday, it was a P1 production incident and you had to do it <laughs> because otherwise the business would be done. Mm-hmm. Which, which again, if you have like actionable, actionable you know, uh, proofs and examples of the situation that happened at some point that you can actually get back to, this is so much more useful and so much so much better because then you will get to analyze the situation that happened and actually work on improving this yourself mm-hmm. instead of, oh, because uh, this person has a bad opinion about me and I didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's most of my questions. So I really appreciate your time, but I want to give you a chance to talk about what you're working on and about where people can find you online. So if somebody wants to follow up and learn more about you, Tamaj, where should they go? Sure. So as we established, I'm incredibly active on Twitter. <laughs> so apparently, yeah, I've passed 15K uh, tweets, uh, I think, two, two weeks ago. So that's that's scary and terrible. I should probably stop. But nevertheless, uh, please feel free to follow me on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is twitter.com slash telakome. So with T-L-A-K-O-M-Y. It's probably going to be in the description of this video, uh, sorry, of this podcast. <laughs> Uh, on a, honestly, if you search for Tomasz Wakome, you probably find my Twitter account as the first result. Uh, feel free to also check out my stuff on Dev2, uh, again, as uh, as uh, Telakome. My blog, uh, telakome.com, which is kind of behind uh, my Dev2 account, but I promise I will get it updated <laughs> any minute now. Uh, feel free to talk. My DMs are always open. Uh, probably will be for foreseeable future because I do love receiving questions because for me, answering questions is how, how I grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, because people ask me questions and I get to investigate and reach, ba- uh, reach back to them. Uh, when it comes to what I'm working on right now, I am getting heavily into AWS. So I am working on more Egghead uh, material when it comes to AWS. Already published two playlists uh, two weeks ago. So I had a playlist about AWS Lambda uh, next one was uh, a place about AWS serverless application model. And I'm currently working on a brand new Egghead course about uh, AWS Cloud uh, Development Kit, which is probably going to come out, well, this year, absolutely. But I don't know exactly <laughs> which month. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really hyped uh, about it. I'm looking forward to both recording it and putting it uh, out there. Because uh, basically what, it, what it's going to be about is being to able to write front-end, back-end, and infrastructure using TypeScript. So if you know TypeScript, you will be able to uh, be extremely powerful as an engineer because you will get to, you will be able to write anything, really. Front-end, back-end, infra, 
the entire engineering team as a single person using a single language, which is TypeScript. For me, it's absolutely freaking amazing. Well, thank you, Tomasz, for your time. I really enjoyed getting to, to speak with you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to devpath.fm. Want to ask a question? Send an email to jacob at devpath.fm.